The world needs to limit the rise in average global temperature to 1.5 degrees Celsius. We are a few short months away from the world's biggest climate summit since Paris. I'm talking about COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland, where countries are going to hopefully be agreeing on ways to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement and explaining how they'll act to help limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. So we thought we would delve deeper and find out what's being done when it comes to some of the key themes. The transformation of the energy system, the role of nature and the investment needed. And asking, is everyone involved doing enough? Today on the Energy Podcast, the world and 1.5 degrees Celsius. What will it take to finance the drive to a net zero future? Hello, I'm Julia Street, City Businesswoman, Advisor and Broadcaster, and your host for this special series putting the big questions to people in the know when it comes to tackling climate change. And today we're talking money, specifically the financing of the energy transition. And it seems that 2021 is the year for big announcements. In July, the European Commission launched its strategy to make the EU's financial system more sustainable. And in the following month, the US Senate approved a trillion dollar infrastructure bill at the heart of which lies green investment. So today I'm joined by three experts who spend much of their time wrestling with huge numbers and really getting into the weeds of the finance needed to underpin the energy transition. Hiro Mizuno is the UN Special Envoy on Innovative Finance and Sustainable Investments. Hugh Van Steenus is the Sustainable Finance Chair and Senior Advisor to the CEO at UBS. And Jessica Uhl is the CFO at Shell. So welcome one, welcome all. Listen, I really want to get straight into the conversation. And uh, I suppose the level setting question would be, if we want to have a more sustainable future, why should I care about how the energy system is financed? Hero, let me hear your thoughts, first of all. Yeah, thank you, Julia. The currently global greenhouse gas emission is touring at the 50 gigaton and about 35 to 40 gigaton of that, roughly 70% give or take, are produced by energy sector. So it's obvious for us to have a sustainable energy future, we need to transform energy industry, you know, the electrifying automobiles and etc. We have been only interested in how to finance the, the, the project it's needed to make sure that everybody has access to energies for their living. But now financial sector have to pay attention to whether they are financing the acceleration of a transition. And Hugh, from an investment banking point of view, love to hear your thoughts about you know, why it matters to have this sustainable model. Well, Julia, the transition to the low carbon economy is going to require one of the largest rewirings in the economy ever, some three and a half trillion per annum for the next decade. And that compares to about a trillion a year currently investing in the capital expenditure for fossil fuels. In my view, the green revolution, like the industrial revolution or the tech revolution, will be fueled and accelerated by capital markets and banks. And we all have a clear interest in this success. We're particularly interested in innovation, not just the innovations we want to fund uh, to solve these problems, but innovating in the data we use to make investment decisions. For instance, how we track decarbonisation or also the innovation in new markets. 
for instance, markets for carbon trading or for green bonds. So there's a huge amount at stake. There's a lot to be done. And when we think about that, you know, to really bring that to life for the listeners, you know, I turn to the International Energy Agency, who claim that on average, we're going to need one to two trillion US dollars of investments every year for the next 30 years to finance this energy transition. And so, Jessica, let, let me bring you in here. I mean, bring that to life for us. You know, how much is that in real terms? Uh, I think this, the scale is somewhere probably between two to four trillion dollars a year that will be needed through 2050. It's a huge amount of money. I think people hear that number. They, they recognize it's a big number. I live here in the Netherlands. The GDP of the country is $1 trillion a year uh, to give you a, a sense of scale. And then for a company like Shell, we spend about $20 billion a year in CapEx. It's about what we spent, what we intend to spend this year. So it's some hundred times what Shell intends to spend. And so a couple of things to take away from that is one company can't solve this. We need to have incredible coordination between companies, but importantly, between consumers, governments and countries. Uh, and as Hugh and uh, Hirosan mentioned, it's a huge transformation and rewiring that needs to take place. It's, it's really unprecedented in kind of modern economic history. We were talking earlier about uh, there's a very clear sort of appetite to get involved with the financing of this transition. And Hugh sort of mentioned that earlier as well. Uh, but there's also a financial incentive role to play here as well. Can you share your thoughts on you know, the role that financial incentives can play in really kind of driving the change at pace? Well, I, th I think Jessica, you know, framed it really well. Is This is an explosive growth for a whole economy transition. And just to put in context, last year, there was roughly half a trillion of ca uh, capital expenditure on clean energy. And the numbers Jessica laid out involve something like a, a quadrupling to eightfold increase. So it's all hands on deck. And I think importantly, uh, uh, Jessica, uh, Hirosan and myself all think it's about a whole economy transition. It's automotives, it's food, it's energy systems, it's utilities, it, it's everything. And of course, you know, everything is financed. So I think the focus on innovation and market to there. Now, obviously, government action and setting the rules of the road will be incredibly important. Uh, but I wouldn't underestimate just the need for raw innovation and we've seen during the pandemic what you know an all hands on deck approach can have and hero son i have a feeling you're keen to come in here so love love to hear your thoughts too so i think we are at the point that the people are still struggling whether this is just the cost to the economy or more opportunity but i think it's going to be a sooner than later for the people to change their mindset uh, to realize that this is a great opportunity for everyone and I think there is another dynamic to the market because we've talked about the, in, the innovation side, if you like. But we've also talked, we need to talk about the, the market reality, particularly thinking about fossil fuels and some of the uncertainty around what the future may hold on that. So, so if we think you know, about the financial sector itself, how energy companies are dealing with this transition to net zero emissions energy system. And given the part that fossil fuels is set to play within that energy system and is expected to be much smaller as well. I'm keen to sort of hear your thoughts about what impact that that side of the market plays as well. Jessica, can I come to you first of all uh, for your thoughts on that? Some 80% of all energy today uh, is, is from some form of, of fossil fuels and that's what's fueled a tremendous amount of growth over the, the last, you know, several decades. And uh, of course, that is not our future, and we do need to move away from fossil fuels as fast as we can, and we do need to, to drive for a low-carbon future. There's still a billion people on the planet today, even with our current system, that don't have access, and we can't forget 
that all solutions need to address those who don't have access to energy today. But it is, you know, billions and trillions of dollars of assets of pipelines of ships that makes the system work. We have to all retool all of that. And that will take time. And, and, and that's, that's a challenge because from a, from a climate perspective, we're running out of time. And here is on, I was talking earlier about your role as a UN special envoy looking at innovation as well and, and listening to Jessica's remarks there. You know, as you look at the industry, the, the oil and gas industry, love to hear your, your remarks about how that is changing your expectations. Yes, this is uh, the very unique to the energy companies or energy sector because the uh, unlike the uh, the other industry, which the other uh, just a new startup re- managed to replace or disrupt the uh, the legacy companies, here we are talking about the huge system and infrastructure which we cannot replace by like uh, things on the internet. We really need a physical transition, and uh, all those innovation Jessica talked about has to be financed. And uh, here, I've been very frustrated, to be honest, that the, uh, the, there seems to be still the uh, perception among the other uh, financial uh, investors as well as the other uh, corporate leaders about the, how convinced the other uh, financial investors or financier are about net zero future. So I think that once they are convinced about the net zero future, they should change their mind into the how to find the opportunity, how to finance those transitions. So I think the, all those new innovations, which Hugh talked about, Jessica talked about, it has to be financed. And the finance have to play significant role as probably significant as they played during the industrial revolution. So this is the, another industrial revolution where financial player cannot sit there on the fence and pick and choose the good ones and dump the, the bad ones. Right? They have to play a proactive role. And my feeling, Hugh, is you're not one of those financiers that need convincing of the reason why you're on the podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts too. Well, look, I, I think Kerasan makes a, a very important point. I think the market is pivoting. And I think in particular, the last couple of years, the interest that we see from asset owners, from pension funds, from individual investors, to not just think about the risks in their portfolio from the transition, but to seize the opportunities is very strong. And I think that flip from risk to opportunity has come really in the last two years. And therefore, I actually come into this conversation relatively upbeat. But I think if I do have a caution, it's the interplay between sort of public policy and investors around what they invest in. I think Jessica put it brilliantly in terms of this is a very, very complex ecosystem and everything needs to change. We can all probably agree on what is the the greenest opportunities and we can decide, you know, what is the right price for a solar or wind farm? Is it a good, are we getting a good rate of return? Interestingly, solar stocks are actually down from their high, still significantly down on their high of February of this year. Where it's more tricky is how do we help existing companies transition? And I do worry that within the public debate and particularly regulatory debate about trying to get the system to go more green, we may end up stigmatising the financing, the transition. You know, the oil companies, the utilities, the cement companies, we need to help finance these companies through. 
as Jessica put it, something which is not going to be solved tomorrow. Well, you know what I've loved about this conversation is in a really short period of time, we've looked at things from so many different directions and perspectives and, and through different lenses as well. I'm going to set you each a challenge. You have approximately 10 seconds to leave our listeners with one thing that, that uh, in the world of finance, if there were one thing in the world of finance that could make the biggest difference, what might that change be? Hiro-san, if I might come to you first of all. It's a standard disclosure of the uh, the, uh, the impacts or like carbon footprints because the uh, that will take away excuse from the investor who don't want it to accelerate the transition saying there's no disclosure uh, established and also they the kill the other uh, incumbents or like a legacy who are trying to stay in a comfort zone and using the lack of disclosure as the reason for the uh, sort of like a greenwashing a transition washing so disclosure changed a lot Wonderful. Hugh? If one, I'll pick with sort of climate scenarios or climate stress testing of portfolios. It, to speak in Jessica's point, the world is complex. And we also need to think about, you know, many shades of green uh, in the solution to climate transition. Well, the last comment I come to Jessica. Love to hear your thoughts in 10 seconds or less. If there were one thing we'd change that would have the biggest impact, what might that be? Effectively keep score of the right game. So we've done a great job as a finance industry, if you will, sector to direct capital to the highest returns. And we now need to do that and have the best CO2 outcomes. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your thoughts, Hiro Mizuno, Hugh Van Steenis and Jessica All. I hope you've all enjoyed the discussion as much as I have. Thank you for joining me today. And if you want to listen to the rest of the series where I'll be putting the big questions to industry leaders in the energy transition and biodiversity, then just search for the Energy Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Julia Streets. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the Energy Podcast brought to you by Shell. You can find the Energy Podcast on all major providers. Follow or subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production. And I must remind you that the views you've heard today are those of the people featured, not Shell or its affiliates. Thank you for listening and goodbye.